All right, we've come to Hosea chapter 4 after our first three chapters that center around Hosea's marriage to Gomer and her adultery as a, as a visible sign of God's marriage to Israel and her adultery. We come to chapter 4 and, op- and open up here the charge that God brings to the priests and the people and the kings of Israel. Uh, This charge will extend and uh, weave through uh, the rest of Hosea. And uh, as we uh, consider it, we'll we'll see it it kind of swirls. It it kind of weaves in and out of the charge of, of their guilt and God's coming blessing that he will bring even to uh, Judah and Israel. So we're going to begin reading then with uh, chapter 4, verse 1. You can find it on page 8. I'll comment a a little bit as we go through just for a little explanation here and there. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. They're swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend Let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. He's likely addressing the chief priest, and his mother is Israel itself that gives birth to the priesthood. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Not his physical children, but he's speaking of the whole priesthood at that point, as the context will show. So he then moves to the priests at large. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priest, like father, like son. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply, because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. 
Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore. That means I will not only punish your daughters nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. In general, this is a metaphor of his people committing whoredom against God. But this seems to indicate that there, that cult prostitution sensuality was involved in the worship itself. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor up to the Beth Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Leave him to judgment. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Ephraim was a tribe in Israel. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. The new moon that points to hope now will devour them. Thus the reading, the word of the Lord. Speed and go. Let us pray. Lord, give us grace to understand afresh our relationship with you, your devotion to your people. And Lord, give us grace that we may gladly, gladly be your bride and manifest our love and devotion to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about the idolatry and her children Uh, First, the unfaithfulness of idolatry, and then the society of idolatry, and then finally, the judgment of idolatry. First, then, let's look at the unfaithfulness of idolatry. I was asked by a friend years and years ago to preach or to do his sermon, uh, to do his wedding, and he asked me specifically to use Genesis 2, 24 and 25 which is the statement about a man shall leave his father and mother. And um, it also has that phrase in it that was included. uh, They were naked and unashamed. All right. So as I was talking about the passage, I referred to verse 24, but also to 25 and said that this is uh, 
reflects how a marriage is to be vulnerable and how there's to be honesty and openness uh, in marriage. Um, That it calls for accepting one another, seeing one another as you are and embracing one another with all of our blemishes and faults, you know, that, that kind of thing. Now, this was in the Delta, sweltering summer day. And after the wedding, one of the oldest members of the church, let's call her Martha, okay, was approached by someone. And I, as I picture her in the wedding, I kind of picture uh, Chief Inspector, uh, Chief Inspector who was over Closeau, what's it, Dreyfus, yeah, Chief Inspector Dreyfus, because his bumbling idiot Inspector Clouseau, uh, played by uh, Peter Marshall, was so, uh, Peter Sellers, I'm sorry, was so terrible that when he heard Clouseau's name, he just started twitching, you know, like that. So I kind of think she was twitching when she probably heard this word, <clears throat> because they asked her, well, Aunt Martha, what are you going to be doing this hot summer afternoon? And she says, I guess I'll get naked. He talked about it enough. <laughs> Ooh, maybe I said the word too many times. Right? <laughs> well, I say that because you might have twitched a little bit. I certainly winced when I read this passage through a couple of times. Because 12 times we get the word Whore and whoredom. Probably not your everyday word this week, right? Yeah. And it's concentrated in a, in a very singular way here in Hosea. Only one other chapter of the Bible is like this, Ezekiel 16. But this theme, this constant mention of this word and this reality that they have committed whoredom against God is explained by several phrases that you find throughout this this passage. For instance, there's that one in the first couple of verses, there is no knowledge of God in the land. And later in verse 6, he says, my people are destroyed by this lack of knowledge. And in chapter 5, verse 4, they do not know the Lord. Now, this is not... You know, intellectual uh, knowledge. Uh, This is not uh, to just know facts about God, but knowledge of God in this sense is fidelity to God. It's to know God is to to know God is to live in intimate faithfulness with Him. It means devotion and love. It's a life commitment to God, a life passion for God. So it's not just this intellectual thing, but knowledge of God is described in terms of spiritual commitment to him. And so the idea is, if you know him, if you really see him and you perceived him, you will love him, right? You will give yourself to this God. And so other passages, here are other phrases that they have forsaken the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 10 or 4, 12. They have left their God. Or finally in chapter 5, verse 7. They have dealt unfaithfully or treacherously with the Lord. And this, this again tells us that God marries himself to his people. 
And he means business. This love is real. We read that his love is from everlasting to everlasting. Well, I can't conceive of that. God has always existed. We can't, we can't, our minds can't grab that. He's, you know, every kid says, well, when did he start? When did he begin? He's always there. Okay, I know. But when did he start? <laughs> no, he's always been. And he's always loved us. How can that be? Always and always will love us. That's the love and passion he has for us. That's why in Zechariah 3.17 it says, He exults with us with, I love it, loud singing. Not just singing, loud singing. That's how he responds to us. See the guy that throws open the doors of his bedroom and walks out to his balcony that overlooks Central Park. And he just sings to the top of his lungs about the woman that he's fallen in love with. All right? Yeah, that's what God is saying. Yeah, God said, yeah, that's what I do. That's me. That's me. You want to picture me on the balcony of heaven? Fine. All right? But I'm singing. I'm exulting in loud singing over you. That is God for us. Even as sinners, which is amazing. It's shocking. And, you know, if it weren't God you were talking about, you would kind of say, you know, this is a foolish love. It's really a a foolish love. I mean, there's such a fickle, fumbling, failing people. Can you do better than this? You know, but he loves us with all of his heart. And that's the background to this language of whoredom. That I took you in, you were lost You were dead in your sin, irretrievably broken, terminally ill in your iniquity. You were a child of wrath, headed for final judgment, yet I took you in. I cleansed you. I brought you near. I lavished my goodness upon you. And then you turned your back on me against this love. And so this is what happens When anyone who outwardly professes faith in God turns away from him and walks no more with him. This is how God viewed Israel. That he had committed himself, he covenanted himself to them. And she walked away from him. Walked away from the prospect of having his love. Just just think how cheap his love would be to you at that point. This is what happens. And so, by God's grace, we have to guard ourselves against such betrayal. To cry out that he would grant us to be kept from such betrayal because only he can do it. Only he can keep our hearts. Thankfully, we are in his hands and he will not let us go. But then, you know, this applies to us as the people of God. It applied to Israel. But in a wider sense, this is what all humanity has done in its abandonment of God. Because we were created for God. We were created to have this intimate relationship with God. Adam and Eve were were married to God and covenant with God from the beginning. 
He gives to us, he gives to all people, as Paul tells uh, Gentiles in Acts 14 and Acts 17. He gives, and, and Jesus in Matthew 5 reminds his disciples that God is good to evil people every day. And even he's given his own son who's died for sinners and he's offered to all the people of the world. That's who God is. He made us. He's given us all good things. He's given his son and offers him to every person in the world. He's a faithful husband, a forgiving husband, amazingly forgiving husband. But by nature, we have played the whore. By nature, we all have loved creation more than the creator. By nature, we don't want him in our lives. We don't want his authority. We don't want his love and intimacy. And I still remember years later when I first noticed uh, John fifteen twenty five. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. It's in the context of people hating uh, his people, people hating Jesus. And he says, they hated me without cause. And I realized that's me. That's who I am. I hate God and he's perfectly good and beautiful. Why do I hate him? Why would I hate him? But I do. I don't want him at the time, right? It was incredibly convicting as to who I am as a human being. So, you know, in that sense, brothers and sisters, he finds all of us in the red light district, right? Because that's all he has. (laughs) That's all he has to choose from. You have to realize that. That's all God has to choose from. Or we human beings who've prostituted ourselves with his creation. And... Imagine going to the market and you go to the vegetables and all the vegetables are spoiled. You go to the manager, what is this? All these man, these vegetables are all spoiled. And he says, that's all we have. That's it. So that's all God had, spoiled humanity. Spoiled humanity. And think, you know, nobody's even tried this before. Nobody could to think, I'm going to take some of this spoiled, these spoiled vegetables, this spoiled cabbage, and I'm going to take it home and I'm going to fix it, right? I'm going to heal it. I'm going to make it new. I'm going to make it to good cabbage. You think, mm, no, you're not going to do that. It's impossible. Well, if vegetables, how much more so with the complex human being? Who's going to do that? What's impossible, God does, right? He renews us. He takes us in, cleanses us, recreates with us. And amazingly, when he finally gets finished with us in the final day, we'll be like fresh fruits and veggies (laughs) forever, right? And he will do his miraculous work for us, we who were spoiled. Well, that's the unfaithfulness of idolatry. You have the society of idolatry. And this is in the first few verses. You know, it says there uh, early on, there's no knowledge of God in the land. And the 
passage right before that tells us what the result is, that when you abandon God, you become very much unlike God. And so if God is faithful and God is known by steadfast love, God says, you abandon God, there's no knowledge of God, there's no faithfulness, no steadfast love in the land. None. And then he goes on to explain uh, what this means. If you abandon God, you see, if you abandon the knowledge of God and his law, then you dismantle uh, community. Community breaks apart. And in, in verse 2, he mentions four of the Ten Commandments or refers to them. Lying, murder, stealing, a- adultery. And so abandoning God and abandoning his rich and good law. And when it says in verse 6, you've forgotten the law of God, it doesn't mean like a mental error. Like, I forgot the city I visited this morning, you know, because I'm 69 years old, right? Uh, It's not a mental error. It's to purposely ignore and reject God's law, to have disdain for God's law. It counts for nothing. That spells disaster in any community. And it was bad in Israel. It's like multiple levees breaking in on New Orleans. You, they break all bonds, he says there. Like one tornado after another, bloodshed follows bloodshed. They become like a mafia society, a, a gangster culture, not protecting and serving each other, exploiting, abusing, plundering one another. There's no faithfulness and steadfast love because there's no knowledge of God. So we can never abandon God without in some way beginning to abandon one another. And because creation is fastened to humanity, God brings creation, the land, which represents creation. And the land itself mourns in the face of human sin. He he personifies the land because of its intimate connection with us. Creation is sabotaged because of human sin. The psalmist in Psalm 8 rejoices, celebrates the fact that the, the high, lofty God has had such kindness to us, of all things, little men and women, that he's put us over the beasts and the birds and the fish. And those are the three things mentioned in verse 3. It's a decreation that's being expressed here. This is a reversal of the good order of creation. Man's sin is like a wrecking ball to creation. And creation is joined to us. And so when man, the engine, falls over into the ravine, all of creation falls into the ravine, awaiting when the engine will be fully restored in the last day. And it returns to the track, so to speak. And here it says the land mourns. And that's not that different from what Paul says in Romans 8 where he says creation groans in its its futility, its vanity. As C.S. Lewis points out, all the darkness of creation from disease and disability and death to 
tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and fires. All of this is like a red light warning that this world is broken because of human sin. And, and these are previews of coming judgment. All is not right in this world. And whatever else God may do in these terrible events, and however he may bless his people in the midst of it, these are signs of our sin as human beings. So Hosea has this holistic view of human sin that when we turn away from God and his law, we increasingly ruin ourselves and our society and we increasingly ruin the earth itself. We were not made to live apart from God and creation was not made to be ruled by those living apart from God. And isn't it interesting that in the end, creation sends every one of us packing. It's as though, it's as though creation in the end finally says, no, no, you can't stay around here anymore. And that would have been the last word, the final word, except for God's mercy in Christ. That would have been the end of it. You who are supposed to rule creation, you're just finally swallowed up by creation. You pathetic things. Because <laughs> when you abandon God, you abandon everything. But in Christ, God in the final day, he renews human society. And when we're made perfect in the image of Christ, we are resurrected to our new life in the new creation. We'll have a perfect graciousness and joy in one another, a perfect delight in one another, perfect selfish collaboration in everything we do. And creation itself in that day will be finally break out of its leg braces like Forrest Gump and just go running down the lane, right? That will be creation. So the society of this idolatry, the society of abandoning God and whoring, ruins everything in this world. And briefly, the judgment of idolatry. Just several things taken, and we could spend a long time on this subject, but one that's just shattering and haunting to me is when we forget God, he forgets us. As stated in this passage, I will forget your children. I'll have no regard for you. You know, in our sin, we think, God, you know, I'm just going to forget about God. I don't want his authority. I don't want him imposing on my life. I don't want all the obligation. I don't want to, I don't want prayer. I don't want the word. I just forget about. But believe me, you don't want to be forgotten by God. You don't. You don't want to cry out. As he says later, and there's no one to hear you because he's forgotten about you. You want to be forgotten by God? You think, I think by nature, I used to think that. Just leave me alone. Really, I did. Just leave me alone. By his grace, he didn't leave me alone. We don't want to be forgotten by God. And then as he talks about glory turning to shame. That our only glory is to belong to God. And apart from that, it doesn't matter what we do on the earth or what we accomplish on the earth. All that we will have is eternal shame. That's all. Unless we belong 
to God unless we admire and desire his glory. That's our hope. That's what gives us significance and meaning as human beings. With that, apart from that, there's only eternal shame. Well, there are many other things. Eating and not being satisfied, hoarding that leads to barrenness. There's one striking statement as he's describing this hoarding. Because he has that little phrase you may have caught where he says, under a shade tree, right? It's like, here you are, abandoning all of life, exposing yourself to judgment to commit whoredom under a shade tree. The irony of it. This is a nice place. This is, oh, this is comfortable. I like it here. I like the temperature under the tree. How senseless. How absolutely senseless. And then he talks about wood. You know, you have wood or you have a staff. And they would use this, throw it down, and it would point to what the future is. And apart from God and submitting to him, we really become crazy, senseless in the way we live life. That's why Proverbs says that the beginning of all wisdom is to begin to be astonished and in awe of God. That's the start of wisdom in this world. But what will hold us fast? What will hold us fast? Yesterday in my devotion, I came across a verse, Psalm 144, verse 2, and I saw it. I know I've read it a lot, as I read through Psalms a lot, but I saw the verse for the first time, right? I'm, I'm sure this has happened to you. It's very unlike the first time I saw Kay. She was not a face in the crowd. I saw her, right? The first time I saw her. It was like, you had me at, I saw you. <laughs> That's really how I'd say you had me at when I, when I saw you, right? <clears throat> um, but because I'm a sinner and myopic and oblivious and dull, I don't see always what's there in Scripture. So, quite a build-up. Hopefully, I'll follow through here. But this is what I saw for the first time. In Psalm 144, verse 2, there are like six metaphors that describe God. Wonderful, wonderful uh, aspects of God's character. I like to group things, so I've grouped three of them together. You're... You're my refuge, or he, he is my refuge, my fortress, and my stronghold, okay? Then he also says, he is my shield, and he says, he is my deliverer. But the first of the six is what surprised me. He is my loving kindness. And literally, it reads um, like this, the, the, the passage the first part is, okay, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my steadfast love. And usually the psalmist talks about your steadfast love for me. Or like in Psalm 89, three times, God speaking to us speaks of my steadfast love for you. But here is the psalmist who can say, you're my shield, you're my fortress, you're my refuge. You're my steadfast love. Your steadfast love is something that I can dwell in and 
be protected in. In fact, it may be this, that all these other metaphors are like an exposition. You're my steadfast love. That is, because of that, you're my fortress. Because of that, you're my refuge. Because of that, you're my shield and my deliverer. Because you're my steadfast love. So when you get to Lamentation 3 and it says it's steadfast love never cease. They never come to an end. They're new every morning. And you're like, yeah, yeah, he's my steadfast love. What else? Right. And I think of us in Christ Jesus. And I think of Paul saying, I'm just imagining this, but Paul reading this and saying, yes, he's my steadfast love. He loved me and gave himself for me. There's a statement of steadfast love. He loved me and gave himself for me. I take Christ's statement, I go to prepare a place for you in John 14, to mean that he will prepare a place for us in heaven by dying for us, being raised for us, reigning over all things for us, interceding for us, and finally coming to fetch us to be with him forever. Like the bridegroom would go and prepare a place and come get his bride one night at her surprise. Yeah, he's our steadfast love, steadfast throughout our lives, steadfast through all eternity. And isn't it striking that as he describes the new creation... He says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes, comes to fetch them. And here's here's one of the great surprises of scripture to me. I say to you, he, the master, will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. He's my steadfast love forever. Using his unlimited resources To serve me weak and helpless. To give to me forever and ever and ever. How can it be? But that's the love of this God for his bride. Let us pray. Lord, bless us. Equip us. Nourish us in the love that you have given us in Christ Jesus. May we be renewed in it and strengthened in it. May we have hope and resiliency. And Lord, may it express itself in how we love and care for one another and for a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.